Thank you for joining us for Revive the Drive, a ministry of the Bethany Fellowship of Churches. We live in a world where time is a precious commodity. One of the avenues for reviving our souls is the necessary commute to and from the many places our schedules take us. As the wheels of the car begin to turn, join our panel and set the wheels of your mind in motion as you consider the significance and impact of theology on everyday life. Let's listen in as our pastors talk theology. Welcome to Revive the Drive. We're excited to have another installment of this program where we talk about doctrine and how it relates to life. And I'm here with Pastor Art Georges and Pastor Daniel Bennett, and I'm Rich Burkle. And today we're going to talk about the tribulation and the rapture of the church. So uh, we enter into this field of study uh, known as the eschatology, the doctrine of future things. And there's some people who are very, very ambivalent when it comes to the study of the doctrine of future, future things. And so why would we study end times if it's so controversial and if there's so much disagreement within the church regarding our understanding of what's going to happen in future events? Why would we make it a... Uh, important aspect of the Christian life to think about these things? Well, uh, I, I think when we are in love with Jesus Christ, when we are in love with his return, it causes us to want to know more about the timing of that return, when we'll see him again. Peter says, though you don't see him, you rejoice with joy inexpressible, uh, having as the outcome of your of your faith uh, your essentially your redemption, your salvation. And so uh, if we are doing what Scripture calls us to do, setting our mind on the things above, not on the things on earth, we want Christ to return. We want him to come. You also think about how what percentage of of Scripture is prophetic, and it's a, it's a huge percentage of, of, of Scripture that makes up prophecy. Maybe I think some yeah. estimates as much of a quarter of Scripture is is prophecy. And so obviously it's something that God finds very, very important. Um, another reason I, I think of is, is just the need to understand that, that righteousness wins out and, and wickedness is, is punished. There's that passage in revelation six where the, the, the people are, are crying out uh, and asking how long, O Lord, until, until uh, justice comes, and and that's uh, a sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And so there's a sense in which as wickedness is, is destroyed and taken care of, God's, God's glorified, and there's rejoicing that, that righteousness reigns. Right, right. Uh, I want to talk a few more uh, aspects of the practical applications of, of prophecy. Um, how is prophecy a comfort to those who are grieving death? Last session we talked about death and the intermediate state. In what way does prophecy encourage us as we think about death or even in the face of, of the loss of a loved one? Well, we're looking forward to seeing that loved one again, and we want to know, again, where they're at and will they uh, will we be with them again? And so it causes us to know what the future holds for us to be reunited with our loved ones. We study that because we want to know. Yeah, We have confidence that as we see fulfilled prophecy, we realize God keeps his word in the past, mm-hmm. and so God's going to keep his word in the, the future as well. And so the things he's promised about our loved ones and about uh, those those things are, are going to continue to be fulfilled. 
Yeah, in First Thessalonians four, the Apostle Paul uh, addresses this this practical matter very uh, directly when he says, "Brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep." And it's interesting how he uses uh, the idea of sleep to describe death, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died, rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. And then he begins to talk. Uh, about what I believe is the rapture of the church. And and he says, uh, this doctrine has a huge practical importance as we lay the body of the person uh, whom we love into the grave. Uh, we don't have to think that the death or sin had the last word, even in reference to the body. Uh, but there's hope even in reference to what's going to take place with the body of that very person. Mm-hmm. And, and Paul says, when we're ignorant of these things, we lo- lose comfort. Right. That's good. That's good. And so uh, then another aspect, how, how would a uh, study of Bible prophecy help us to live holy lives, to live uh, for Christ and unto Christ in obedience? Well, certainly we are called to be as ambassadors. We're called to warn of the wrath to come. We're called to, to uh, proclaim the gospel, calling people to Christ. Uh, and so uh, according to uh, the Apostle John, uh, the fact that we long for his appearing, his return for us, causes us to purify ourselves. In the book of Revelation, those letters to the churches, there's there's promises to the overcomer. So right now, as you're in the midst of this, this is what you're going through, but the overcomer, the one who thinks about God's prophetic word and realizes what the future holds, can have, have confidence as they persevere that this is what awaits them. Yeah. And again, earlier in our session, we, we talked about our union with Christ, and, and that was one of the aspects of uh, application in that Colossians 3 passage uh, where uh, Paul says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear also with him. So put to death, therefore, the things that belong to the body. Mm. In other words, our future is not back here any longer. It's in view of the fact that one day we're going to stand before Christ and uh, – He's going to appear before us in glory, and we're going to be made like him. Uh, we're going to appear with him in glory. Then why would we invest our life in things that are passing away and things that are corrupt and dark mm-hmm. and, and things that, that bring shame and, and, and guilt? Um, also then, how might uh, a study of Bible prophecy actually encourage us toward Christian ministry to, be an act, to being active in God's kingdom work here? As we understand uh, what God's future plan is, we see how uh, the church is to be involved in it. We see what the church is to be to be doing. Again, I think of those those uh, letters to the to the seven churches in, at the beginning of Revelation. Uh, the uh, each church is told, okay, here's here's well, most churches are told, here's what you're doing well, here's what you're doing poorly. Now, here's how how you respond. And so, understanding God's God's prophetic word helps them understand how they're fitting into God's. God's divine and sovereign plan. Ephesians two ten talks about how uh, God has works He's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, Isaiah tells us that God's a God who declares things from the beginning, things not yet done. He knows the end from the beginning, and so the fact that God is a prophetic God and gives us His revelation helps us to know how we're to live rightly in light of His Word to us. Mm-hmm. And the Apostle Peter says that because we understand the things that are spoken of in Bible prophecy, the things that will happen to the earth and and the judgment to come, he says, uh, therefore, we should uh, all the more fervently wait and hasten that coming. And so 
it's as if by doing the things that Christ commands us to do, uh, to go and make disciples and spread the gospel, uh, we have a part in hastening his return, which we long for as believers. Yeah, yeah we certainly see this aspect um, in the apostles' lives that, that they were that they were really motivated by uh, the things that God revealed to them were going to happen in order to be busy at the work now. Um, in, in 2 Timothy 4, uh, Apostle Paul says, "...in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and of his kingdom, I make this charge, preach the word." Mm. <laughs> you know, and if, if we as pastors and as those who are Bible teachers, Sunday school teachers, uh, disciplers would keep in view uh, the coming of the Lord. Um, what a great motivation to preach the word in season, out of season, because we're not looking for the applause of men. We're looking for that day when we stand before him that they would hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And and Paul goes on to say, you know, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And now there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, and it's on the basis of the doctrine of future things that he knows that, mm-hmm. and that's what he's looking for is that is that prize. And, uh, of course, in 1 Corinthians 15, the whole chapter is about this future event of the resurrection of the body, and, and the very end of that, the application is, therefore, uh, in view of uh, this doctrine regarding the future of our physical bodies, he says, stand firm, let nothing move you. Mm. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Mm. Um, it's it's the doctrine of future things that causes us when we get discouraged, we don't see much fruit, we see people complaining, and we wonder, am I really appreciated? All those things that people who serve Christ think about, that we're motivated. No, I, I can't give up. Uh, there is going to be a future day. Today is not payday. You know, there is a future payday, and, and I, I need to keep that in view, and, and that will sustain me to, to help me become immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Um, so now uh, we want to think more specifically about future events, and, and the next future event in the prophetic calendar, um, I believe, is the rapture of the church, when God translates his people physically from this earth uh, to heaven. And so uh, uh, I don't know if either of you want to kind of take a – give a brief overview of, of how you would see the future events uh, that are going to take place. If, if we're living in the church age now, um, what, what do we, should we expect on the base of Scripture to happen in the future? Well, I believe that uh, according to Scripture, there's really nothing standing in between right now and the rapture. Christ's rapture of his church. And the reason I say that really fits into what we've said thus far, uh, the faithfulness that we're called to because there's an uncertainty in the timing of Christ's return. No one knows uh, when he'll return, but he calls us according to the Gospels and, and how he portrayed faithfulness to be like the righteous steward who was busy doing the work of Christ at his coming, at his return, as opposed to the one who wasn't faithful. And uh, in First Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, there's a first-century church that Paul planted, and his testimony of them was that they were waiting for the return of Christ even in their own lifetime. And so I believe Paul taught them that the return of Christ could come at any point. He encourages them accordingly in Second Thessalonians as well. So 
following the rapture of the church, which would be the catching up of those who were alive at the time of his coming, as well as, first, the uh, physical resurrection of the bodies of those who are already in the presence of Christ, uh, and then taking them back with him to heaven, uh, according to John 14, where he says, I prepared a place for you so that wherever I am, you'll be with me. Following that rapture of the church, I believe we'll see uh, the 70th week of Daniel occur at some point, uh, a time that is specifically uh, focused on the nation of Israel. The fullness of the Gentiles, according to Romans 11, has come in, and now uh, God is turning and returning to uh, to save all of uh, Israel that uh, he'll call to himself, and that will be a time of tribulation that we know, the time uh, that we know of as the tribulation, a seven-year period of time in which God judges the unrighteousness of man on earth, but also great uh, a great outpouring of his grace will come upon uh, not only Israel, but those who will believe uh, in Israel's Christ, our Christ, because of their testimony. So there are a number of theories or positions that uh, good, godly people hold in reference to the doctrine of future things. And and so Art just uh, outlined what is uh, referred to as the pre-tribulational rapture of the church, in which uh, when Jesus comes, and he pro- and every all believers in the Bible would agree Jesus is going to come again. He's returning. He will return, and he will return bodily. So that that part is is uh, sort of becomes a, a foundation stone. And then we begin to ask, well, what about what about some other aspects of that? Exactly how will he return, and when will he return? And uh, we know that there is this time of Jacob's trouble that's ahead. Some actually say though that that's already happened. Um, historically, and yet when you read the description of the time of Jacob's trouble, there's nothing that's ever right. really, truly come close on earth to, that's what he says. to describing Nor that. Nor will it. <laughs> Nor will it ever. Um, and so we would call that the Great Tribulation. Um, it's that uh, seven-year period and the, the last three and a half of it, which becomes very intense. And mm-hmm. and uh, if we look in the book of Revelation, we see that described in Revelation 6 through through 18. And uh, and so uh, uh, the pre-tribulational rapture of the church position would say that there's going to be this this translation of God's people before this day of God's wrath, because it is a day of God's wrath. In other words, its its purpose was to exer- is to exercise judgment uh, upon sin uh, and uh, upon rebellion. And at the end of that time, then uh, Jesus would return. Uh, and he would uh, make war with all those in rebellion against him at the end of that tribulation period, and uh, he would establish his kingdom. Um, and that kingdom, uh, I believe, from uh, Revelation uh, nineteen twenty, was going to last a thousand years, mm-hmm. a specific period of time of a thousand years. And so that kind of gives you a little bit of a summation. But but you want to know, in reference to the tribulation, uh, some believe that there will be a rapture in the middle of the tribulation. Some believe that that rapture of the church will take place at the end of the tribulation. And so um, so uh, there are a number of, of theories, but we want to discuss why would we believe that God is going to translate his people prior to the tribulation, prior to this time when uh, God is going to judge uh, 
the world, and particularly um, even uh, uh, Israel and uh, those those who stand against him uh, for their sins. So, what what scriptures might come to bear at least on this this big question of when will the church be translated? Yeah, I think the two strongest arguments for the pre-trib position, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the tribulation in our next session, but would be the imminency of Christ's return, that, that Christ uh, says that he's going to return soon. He's, that, that's the next, as Art mentioned, that's the next thing on the prophetic calendar. And, and then the, the second thing would be del- the idea of deliverance, that yeah. God's people are not destined for wrath. The church isn't destined for wrath, but from deliverance, they're going to be delivered uh, from the wrath to come, First Thessalonians one ten says, and we think again about the those those letters to the the churches in Revelation and how they're they're promised deliverance from from God's wrath and judgment as as they prove that they're part of the church. Yeah, and in regard to imminency, uh, the the pre tribulational wrath rapture position is the only one that upholds him in imminency. In other words, that uh, that says, yeah, we believe that Christ could come right now at this moment. Uh, for all the other positions, they're saying, well, no, there, there has to be a certain number of events that would take place before that would occur. And so if, if we believe that the Bible teaches about imminency, then we would also believe that uh, the Bible would, would teach the uh, pre-tribulational rapture of the church. So what are some verses that we would have that would say, oh, we, we do believe that, that the Bible would... Um, would uh, teach us uh, that Christ could come at any time. Are there any scriptures or other uh, evidences that we would hold? Well, I think we've mentioned it, but I'll reinforce it again. Again, and Daniel just uh, referenced it, First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, mm-hmm. or verse 9 and 10, how this group of first century Christians were waiting, according to the instruction of Paul, waiting for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. And then later in that same book, in chapter 5, Paul says to the Thessalonians that God has not destined us for wrath. And it's difficult to to characterize the time of tribulation as anything other than God's wrath, as the sealed judgments are uh, opened by Christ, uh, pouring out God's wrath upon earth. Right. Yep. The uh, uh, another passage, James chapter five, when uh, mm-hmm. James says, "Don't grumble against each other's brothers, or you will be judged." The judge is standing right at the door, mm-hmm. um, indicating again at any moment the judge could come in. So don't don't allow your life to reflect poorly upon upon uh, um, your uh, your faith and upon others, because uh, that day could happen right in the middle of of that grumbling, in the middle of that sin. Yeah, that's good. Philippians 4.6, uh, speaking of the nearness of Christ in the midst of trials, but also, I think, referencing the nearness of Christ in his coming. Be anxious for nothing. Uh, because why? Because the Lord is near. Yeah, so um, other, uh, just a couple other doctrinal ideas or biblical ideas that support this idea that, that the church will be taken uh, prior to the tribulation and at any moment— uh, would be that uh, in Revelation, uh, the the book that speaks most thoroughly about the doctrine of future things, we have the church mentioned over and over again in the first um, first five chapters 
so the Holy Spirit uh, writes to the church, the church, the church, the church, and there are seven churches specifically mentioned. But after that point, the church is no longer mentioned. Uh, it it, it uh, literally disappears in the, the book of Revelation. And then that passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18, uh, I, I think is the most clear passage. It's the one from which we actually get the word rapture, the Latin the Latin translation of 1 Thessalonians 4 uh, has the word rapture in it, means caught up. Uh, and so uh, those two passages for further study, this is, a, this is a deep topic. It's a difficult one, but we trust it's one that you're eager and ready to pursue. And uh, we would uh, love to be able to help you with resources in your pursuit if that's your desire. Uh, but what a great time to talk about the doctrine of future things and to hopefully grab hold of those practical applications. Well, thank you for joining us here at uh, uh, Revive the Tribe. We trust that God will bless you as you await his coming.